Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. This week, our portion is shalach. Okay, and we're coming into the area of numbers. Well, I guess we kind of already entered into it, but into an area where we read about a lot of trials along the way. Because I believe it was last week in the portion, the children of Israel set out from Mount Sinai, headed towards the promised land, and that's when the grumbling began, and that's when uh, problems began to rise up. And now, um, what was an 11-day journey, that what it should have taken from Sinai to get to the promised land, had become almost 40 days, okay? And Moses uh, sent spies out to the land, to take a look at it and to essentially get a game plan. But before we go into all of that, um, you know, we sang about faith and, and trusting in the Lord, and I felt like the, the message today is really about having a thread of hope, right? And asking questions of ourselves of, well, what do we believe? What frames our belief? And, and then also, who do we believe, right? Because all those things are going to affect our hope and ultimately our faith, right? Now, Heather reads the Chronicles of Narnia series to our children. And I think she's on the third round through it now. So read it to David, then Danielle, and now she's reading it to Josiah, and she'll read it again to Micah. But they all gather around and they listen. And, and uh, I have not read all of them. I've read some but I need to read all of them. So I'm going to talk about a book I haven't read. Oh. But not, not well, a little bit. So anyway, you know, we'll, we'll make do. But they, there's this character in the book called The Silver Chair by C.S. Lewis. His name is Puddleglum, and he's a marsh wiggle. I don't really know what a marsh wiggle is per se, but it sounds pretty curious. But this marsh wiggle... He, uh, he comes into the scene, and these children are on a, on a journey to try to find someone. And they come along him, and they say, hey, will you help us? And so, he, so he, here's his response, okay, to, to them asking for help. He says, well, I don't know that you'd call it help. I don't know that anyone can exactly help. It stands to reason we're not likely to get very far on a journey to the north, not at this time of year, with the winter coming on soon and all. And an early winter, too, by the looks of things. But you mustn't let that make you downhearted. Very likely, what with enemies and mountains, rivers to cross and losing our way, and next to nothing to eat and sore feet, we'll hardly notice the weather. And if we don't get far enough to do any good, we may get far enough not to get back in a hurry. <laughs> so this guy, you know, he's pretty upbeat, right? <laughs> So, so, you know, his, his, and this is his character throughout, well, at least in this part of the book. He's one who can look at a situation, can see everything negative, and then say, but, you know, guys, I'm just trying to put a positive spin on things, right? And, uh, and now the curious thing about the next sentence in the book is both of the, it says both the children noticed that he said we and not you. You know, talking about the, tr- the trip. And both exclaimed at the same moment, are you coming with us? 
Now, isn't that strange, right? Because they're excited. He doesn't seem to be the type of guy you want to take on this trip who would be, uh, well, you know, he might actually discourage you along the way, right? We normally want people who have an optimistic outlook to go with. But they're excited that he's going to come along. And, you know, so I bring this up. We'll come back to Puddle Glum later. But the, the thing is that they have a task set before them, okay? And there's an optimistic way of looking at it, and there's a negative way of looking at it, right? And so that's where we really find ourselves with the story of the spies as they go out to look at the promised land. And so, again, I, I mentioned, so they've now traveled almost 40 days to get to the land, and now they're sending in spies. And we pick up in Numbers 13, verse 25. Okay. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land, and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there, the Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are all well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who came, who come from the Nephilim, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. So the spies had gone into the land, which God had said is a land that is very good, flowing with milk and honey. And in the land they saw that it was true, the produce was magnificent, right? They brought back the grapes, the pomegranates, and the, and the fig. But there were obstacles there as well, right? And so the spies, or 10 of the 12 spies, focused on the obstacles as opposed to the promise, right? They looked at their own ability to overcome versus God's ability working in them to bring about God's promises, right? They saw a land that devours its inhabitants, right? According to Rashi, uh, that wherever they went in the land, they would see funerals, right? So when they, they go in, they just see death everywhere, right? But if they had spiritual eyes to see, they would understand that God was causing the death of the inhabitants in order to provide a distraction for the spies who were, there, who were making their way through the land. So rather than the deaths being something of that would be their future, it was actually their protection as they traveled through the land. So the way that they perceived and framed up all of it really was going to matter for ultimately the report they would give and the actions they would take. But there was an alternate perspective, right? So this was 10 of the 12, but there were two, Caleb and, jo and Joshua, who had a different perspective that we see in Numbers 14, 
verses 6 through 9. <clears throat> and Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. Okay, so everyone was weeping, they, and they tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Right? So there was a bad report and there was a good report. And then what the question is, which report would the people believe? Which one would they cling to and hold to? Now, uh, the people were ready to stone Caleb and Joshua to, to silence them so the people could instead say, no, no, we're going to preserve our lives and not go up and take the land. But within this, there was a responsibility of the people, but there was, there was a responsibility of the leaders as well to communicate what was, you know, what is the true message? Are you going to take the Pledoglum side of things? Or are you going to take the Caleb and Joshua side of things? And the first report that really made it to the people was, was one that, of a lack of hope. So even when they began to hear the words of hope, they weren't able to receive them, right? Because now a wall and a barrier had taken place. They had become essentially numbed, or not numbed, but they had become hardened unto what was good, what were good words and encouraging words that would have brought life. And in Numbers 14, 24, the Lord speaks of what, of Caleb. And he says, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went and his descendants shall possess it. So the Lord noted that Caleb had a, a different spirit about him. He had aligned his heart and his mind differently than others had. He followed God fully, and in that following was trusting completely that God was the one who does wonders, works miracles, and there is no God like the one true God. Now, within this, assessing rightly does not mean denying facts or, or obstacles along the way, right? Because you can, you can see an obstacle, but you can also see the promise. And then do you assess the obstacle in light of the promise or without regard to it? And so assessing rightly is really important. And, and First Fruits of Zion had something that they put out a while back that I really like. So I wanted to read that here. It says, the optimist says the cup is half full. The pessimist says the cup is half empty. The man of faith gives thanks that the cup is half full, and he marvels that God will either make the half cup sufficient to meet the need or miraculously refill the whole cup. People say every cloud has its silver lining. The pessimist sees the cloud. The optimist sees the silver lining. The man of faith sees the cloud and the silver lining both. He gives thanks to God who made the cloud, provides the rain, and clears the sky. Right? Because... It's a silly faith that denies that there are obstacles because the fact is we face challenges in life. 
we have difficult roads that lie before us. When God says, go take the mountain, usually there's a, an enemy or obstacle to overcome, you know? And, you know, there are times in the scripture where the Lord says, you know, stand, or Moses says, stand by and see the salvation of God. There's be still and know that I'm God, right? There's times when it's just like, okay, well, God's just going to do this. But the normal mode of operation is the Lord says, go do it, go take it, and I'll be with you, right? And so we say, okay, he's with me. This looks, this looks crazy. <laughs> this doesn't look possible, but I'm going to go and I'm going to believe, right? And so within all of this, we don't always know exactly how things are going to play out, how they're going to work out, right? I mean, even when the children of Israel go into the promised land and they go to, to fight at Jericho, you know, did they know the full game plan? No, it's like, okay, well, that's the city we're going for. The walls are huge and they're thick. And God's like, march around it. <laughs> so they didn't know the end, but God did. From the beginning, he knew how it would go. So our, our, our insights are limited and often flat wrong. And so the importance for us to really place our faith in God and say, okay, you've said it. I'm going to go. You're going to take care of it. And oftentimes, too, even when bad things occur, our first reaction can be one of defeat or failure or a loss of hope. But oftentimes the Lord takes things that were that appear evil or bad at the beginning and he turns them for good. So this past Thursday, uh, Boaz and his wife Amber were here speaking about what's been going on with First Fruits of Zion here in the past couple of weeks. And First Fruits of Zion came under fire recently in Israel because they were through an association they have with a um, with a person who has been operating under what has been presented as false pretenses within the Orthodox community in Jerusalem, then First Fruits of Zion has been uh, in the papers been labeled a covert uh, missionary organization, but they are they are not a missionary organization. Within this. There's been danger to the families um, and and just real trial from the aspect of this is, uh, this is a challenging time for them. But along the way, there's also a blessing within it. And part of the blessing is that traffic to their website has gone up by 900%. And most of the traffic is from... Jew Jewish people in Israel who do not believe that Yeshua is the Messiah, right? Because those are the people going to find out who is this missionary group, what's going on. And then seeing very clearly that First Fruits of Zion says they are not a missionary group. They encourage Jews to live faithfully to the Torah, right? And they spread the truth of Yeshua. And, and that, you know, whether, uh, whether a Jewish person believes in Yeshua or not, they should remain faithful to the Torah and live a Jewish lifestyle. Right? So now they're, now 900% more, or, you know, nine times the number of people are now going and seeing about this testimony of how the Torah is being spread to the nations under the name of Yeshua. That's pretty cool. Right? Now, that doesn't mean that it's an easy path. They're, they're like, oh, well, now the, 
the trial and trying to, you know, write the story and, and make sure that all of our families are safe, you know, th- that doesn't become nothing. That's still a real challenge. It's still a faith walk. Um, but in the midst of it, to be able to say, oh, I see God moving in this, that inspires hope and confidence that, hey, God is doing something bigger and something greater, right? So we may not be able to see it all, but we can, you know, like what they said about the cup that's half full, we can thank God that it's half full and trust and thank that he's either going to make it sufficient or miraculously fill it up the rest of the way. Now, in that story, you know, the, could they weather the storm without seeing the good things, you know, and seeing how God is doing this? I, I think they could, right? I mean, because, you know, that we have strength to persevere and God will encourage us, but there's something additional that comes in there that actually can energize in the midst of the trial. And so how we see the trial and how we respond to it is really important. Consider that when the 10 spies came and they gave the bad report, that wasn't the end of the story, right? It's how did the children of Israel respond to the report? Because they also had the good report, right? They didn't lose the promised land because they heard the bad report. They lost the promised land because of how they responded to it and that they accepted and took in the negative and said, no, no, we can't do it. God's promise isn't true. Now, granted, their children were to, did receive the promise, but instead of actually being able to go in, instead of being able to overcome the naysayers, these 10 spies, and say, no, God said this is good and we're going to go in and take it, instead they, they bought in to the lie. If they had, if they had gone up at that time, they would have taken the land and they wouldn't have wandered for 38 years in the desert, right? Having that generation pass away. Now, in the scriptures, I guess we'll go and read this in Numbers 14, verse 28. The very thing they feared was what then came upon them. The Lord says, say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness and all of your number listed in the census from 20 years old and upward who have grumbled against me. Not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh and Joshua, the son of Nun. But your little ones who you said would become a prey, I will bring in and they shall know the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness, and your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years, and shall suffer for your faithlessness, until the last of your dead bodies lie in the wilderness. According to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, forty days, a year for each year shall you bear your iniquity, forty years, and you shall know my displeasure. I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely this will, will I do to all this wicked congregation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness, they shall come to a full end, and there they shall die. Now, I didn't note it here, but the Lord had said that all those who had been, all the men who had been numbered in a census, 20 years of age and up, who were numbered out for who would be in the army to go forth, those are the ones who were destined to die in the, in the wilderness. Uh, and the sages note that the women were not under that same uh, under that same penalty, 
I'm sure that some of them did, but likely many of them did make it. Why? Because it was the men who were numbered to go out to the Legion to fight who didn't go fight. Ultimately, they're the ones who didn't do what they were called to do. And so they bore a greater punishment than the others. And then even the the ten spies, they died in the plague right away. They didn't wander in the wilderness. Their punishment was even greater for they had actually put a stumbling block around or stumbling blocks in front of the children of Israel. Getting stories mixed up. So, but, um, so, you know, we have a responsibility for what the Lord has given us to go forward in faith with what He's called us to. You know, now others can bear suffering for the result of others' failures, just as the Lord said that the children would wander and bear the iniquities of their father's faithlessness. Um, but God holds accountable those who He has specifically called to go and do something. Now, after their failure to, to go up and after hearing what their, what their future would be, they began to be very remorseful. And they said, no, 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 we'll go up, right? No, no, we'll, we'll go do it. We can do this, right? But Moses warned them and said, God is not with you. You know, you have, you have turned from him. He has issued his decree that you are to wander in the wilderness. That his word will stand. I mean, he said, as surely as I live, right? Um, and so, but they, they wouldn't listen. And they tried to go up anyway in their own strength without God to take the land. And they were, they were driven back and suffered great defeat. Along these lines of, of believing a good report and, and how we view the good report and perceive it, there was one other aspect in the, in the life of Yeshua. Uh, I kept hearing the, who has believed our report, right? And so I went to Isaiah 53, and we'll look at verses 1 through 6. And the scripture says, Who has believed our message or our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Now, within this passage, again, it's a, it's a good report is being given, right? That there is one who is going to bear the iniquities of the children of Israel and of the world, right? And sent forth the word become flesh. And this, the arm of the Lord has been revealed. But then the scriptures laid out that those who had beheld him didn't see him for who he was, right? But it seemed him stricken, smitten of God. Now there, there are those who did believe, who did follow, but many more who didn't. It makes me kind of think that this whole finding 
hope and faith in the midst of trial and difficulty, it seems to be hard to do. Like the majority seems to fall for the lie, fall for the bad report, rather than to trust and believe in the good report and take hold of the hope that has been revealed. Right? And, and that's part of what our calling is to be, is to those who can hold on to that thread of hope, who can take hold of the promise. And despite the trials that we see in the world or the challenges that we face in home and finances and marriage and relationships and all those things and say, no, there's a better outcome. This isn't the end, right? That we can press into that because we have a hope that is greater than the hope of the world, a promise that is sure and steadfast and a promise that, that God will be with us always. And Yeshua makes that promise too before he ascended. He said, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, right? He's always with us. And we have to be focused on what the good report is. Now, within our Haftar portion today, uh, we, we had the story of Joshua and another spy story, right? And, and oftentimes we're like, why would Moses send spies again? Or not Moses, Joshua, excuse me, send spies again into the promised land as they're about to go and take the land after the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. I mean, didn't you see it didn't work out so well the first time? <laughs> Come on. Um, but look, I want to take a look at, at Joshua 2. And I feel like I have to read all this passage because we really need the whole story. Um, so... In Joshua 2, Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. 
Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and your mother and brothers and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua the son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly, truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Right? So they, they came and they gave a good report to Joshua. Now, is that the only report that they could have given? Because there's an alternate report that they could have brought back. They could have brought back, these people are very vigilant and wary. For they discovered that we were coming, and they went and they told the king. I don't know who told them or how they found out, but they seemed to know everything. They could have scouts everywhere, right? And, oh, did we mention how fortified Jericho is? Did we mention these things? Um, and so they could have given a discouraging report, but they, they set that aside. And they said, no, you know what? The testimony that Rahab gave us, that is a true word and aligns with what God has said that he would give us the victory. The time has come. The 40 years are up. It is our time. God has promised the land to us. And now we are seeing the evidence in that a harlot was our covering and protection in the midst of this city. God raised up, not like the most righteous or pious but someone who we otherwise might discount and discard and said, no, I've got, a, I've got a purpose for you. And now, will you walk in it? So she risked her life. She risked her life to hide them, to lie. And then, uh, but in it, you know what it was? She had a hope. She said, this is the, this is the one true God. I look around, everyone's heart is melted. This people has just destroyed these two mighty armies and conquered these lands, and they're about to come here. There is no hope for us. There is no future. We're all going to die. She could have done that. But she said, no, that's the one true God, and these are his servants. I'm going to cast my lot with them. I'm going to do kindness and faithfulness to them and then ask that their God would be my deliverance. Right? Now, within this, think about the illustration that we have. The nation of Israel has been chosen by God. It's been promised a destiny and a future, a land. It's been promised a Messiah, right? 
But the world, which is Jericho, is headed to destruction. But even those in the midst of the world headed for destruction, you know, the Gentiles, can I see who the one true God is and say, I'm casting my lot with the children of Israel. So Rahab's the picture of the Gentile, right? The one that is full of sin and headed towards destruction, but recognizes who the one true God is and says, I cast my lot with the children of Israel. That's where my allegiance is with, with God and his people. And then through that comes deliverance for Rahab and her family, right? It's a really neat picture of the overall picture. And it's a small picture of a bigger picture of the salvation. And what is, what do they say to her, right? They, they say in Joshua 2, verses 18 through 19, they say, Behold, when, you, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, down and you shall gather into your house your father, mother, brothers, your father's household. If anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. Sounds a lot like Passover. The scarlet placed on the door, right, which was in Passover was the blood, and everyone had to stay in the home. If anyone went outside the home, the destroyer would kill them. As long as they remained under the covering, they were safe and they were preserved. Same story, right? Now, additionally, now, when the scripture here says, you, you shall tie this scarlet cord, it's in the Hebrew, uh, well, the, I don't know the full phrase, but it's a, it's a cord of scarlet string. Okay, there's three words that are used. But the cord is tikvat. Tikvat. Okay, which is the construct or like the adjective form of the word tikva, which is hope. Okay, so they said, take this hope of scarlet string and put it in your window, right? That's pretty cool, right, to think about. Take this thread of hope, it may be all you have, but put it in your window. It's a reminder to you. It's a sign to us, and God will see, and he will preserve you and all who take refuge. Wow. The thread of hope, even when it doesn't look like there is hope. There is always hope. <laughs> Whether it's hope for a situation or a person, there is hope. And so earlier, we talked about puddle glum. <laughs> and, you know, we talked about how he's always looking at things and has a, you know, sees things in a negative light and considers that a good thing that he can see it in a negative light. But later on in the story, again, a story I haven't read, but later on in the story, I kind of picked this up from a couple of quotes I saw. Puddleglum and the main characters are under the enchantment of a wicked queen. And in the midst of this, she's telling them that everything they believed or that they've seen is lies and they can't believe in it. You know, that's all fake. It's all a fairy tale. And they become dulled by this enchantment to where they can't even really think straight or see straight, and where they really do begin to question what is real. Uh, maybe butchering it to some degree, but this is what I gather. Okay, and so at one point, Puddleglum goes and he stomps on this fire. Then the fire was kind of the source or the power of the, 
uh, of the enchantment that was going on. And so when he does that, it disrupts the enchantment to some degree. And the pain pulls him out of his comfort, out of this dulled senses that he's in, and he can begin to think a little bit more clearly. And from that place, he begins to say, well, he, he says something along the lines of, well, even if this is all just a fairy tale, as you said, if, if it's none of what we have thought was true is true, I'm still going to believe it, right? Because it's a better hope. It's a better future. And he says, <clears throat> okay, so in the story, Aslan is a lion that represents uh, either Yeshua or God. Okay, Yeshua. And he said, I'm on Aslan's side, even if there isn't any Aslan to lead it. <laughs> and he says, I'm going to live as uh, like a Narnian, as much like a Narnian as I can, even if there isn't a Narnia, which is the good place. And so in this time of this confusion, he says, all I see is darkness. I see a lack of hope. I see really death. But the hope of something better is worth living for. Even to the point where he says it's worth living for even if it's not right. I'm still going to go for it, right? Which is, I mean, it's because that, that's a hope worth pursuing. There's, and it, it just popped to my mind, there's a movie called Secondhand Lions. And in it, uh, one of the guys, so this guy's kind of teaching a teenage boy how to become a man, and he gives him a speech. You know, he starts talking about the things that are good and noble and right and just. And the guy's like, well, is this true? And he goes, it doesn't matter if it's true. There's some things that are worth believing, right? <laughs> and and, uh, and so that's kind of what Puddleglum's doing here, right? He's saying, this is worth believing in. It's worth pursuing something that's good. Now, in our case, we have a hope that is true and it is good. How much more is it worth pursuing even though we see giants, we see mountains, we see potential lack? And we think, man, there's no way I can do this on my own. It's like, that's okay. Because you see the possibility and the potential and you say, I know that God is with me. He said that he is with me. And if he's called me to go, and we're going to get there one way or the other, right? And so that's for us. It's don't, don't give up hope. Hold to the tikvah, the tikvat, the scarlet tikvat of string, right? That hope in all things, situations, people, all of it. And then holding to that and believing in God to bring us through we can actually take hold of that future and bring it into reality, right? So what are we going to train ourselves to see? What is it that we believe? What's the, what is the foundation for what we frame up and who do we believe, right? We need the encouragers along the way, even when the encouragement doesn't sound very reasonable, right? Rather than stoning them, let's instead say, okay, wait, there's something here and let, let myself be built up in the word, and to rewire my brain to expect goodness and to take the good report. Not denying that the cloud is there, but seeing the silver lining and knowing that God will provide.
did anybody have anything uh, that you had wanted to share or thoughts? When you <clears throat> when you brought up Rashi and talking about the land consuming its inhabitants, and uh, what came to my mind is um, the times of Noah, right? When the people were acting in such a sinful way, um, and and when God tells Abraham, the wickedness has not, or when He tells Sodom and Gomorrah, the wickedness has reached the. The point where I must judge, right? And um, I forgot he was talking to, and he says, "But the Canaanites, their their wickedness has not yet reached that limit, right? But now it has, right? And so, as the people are spying out the land, um, the funerals, right? Rashi mentioned the funerals. I imagine it's the people themselves causing it, hmm. like." Either it's funerals or there's skeleton laying about because these people don't even care that they've killed someone and they just leave the body there to rot, right? Like this is the mindset of the, the, these people and that's why God has brought the judgment. So like the, the land is consuming, is, you know, kills its inhabitants, right? Death is all around. It's, it's the people themselves, right? They have brought, their sin has brought corruption into the land. So that kind of imagery. That makes a lot of sense. And then um, what you were saying earlier about, you can endure the test, the hardship with trusting God, but it is the hope that brings the joy. Mm. Yeah, amen. Yeah, That's, that is very true. Next, I was thinking on that of like hope and faith are very interlinked, right? But then that's something additional that the hope brings is joy even in the midst of trial. Lord, we thank you for your goodness, for the hope that we have in you. Lord, thank you that even when there's only a thread of hope, Lord, that's enough. Thank you, Lord, that your promises are true and you are faithful. Thank you, Lord, that uh, your promise to your people is a yes and an amen, that you are with us even to the end of the age. I pray that you would encourage us, Lord, that you would help us to see that which is good and to practice and train ourselves to see that which is good and to walk in your righteousness and in your love. Lord, we bless you and thank you in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas. Thank you.